Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? The only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with Extended Clip. Welcome to Extended Clip, episode 68, the third installment of the Brooks Brothers miniseries. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. <coughs> I'm, uh, I'm Malcolm Baum. You want to do that one more time? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm JT White. I'm already thinking about whether or not I'm cutting it out. Like, it's kind of a funny bit, but it's like, people don't want to hear that. <laughs> I'm Malcolm Baum. Maybe it's what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. <laughs> I gave you that clean I'll, editor's choice. I gave you a clean tag. <laughs> Our double feature this week is James L. Brooks's ultimate film Maudit, his most reviled picture, I'll Do Anything, from 1994, and uh, perhaps Albert Brooks's most acclaimed, or at least one of his most acclaimed films, Modern Romance, from 1981. Boy, this week's double feature did a doozy on me. <laughs> really really tucked in huh <laughs> said good night why is that though eddie what how did why did these affect you so much i mean modern romance is one that i've watched over and over i mean over and over uh, i've thought about a lot but i've watched you know three times over the last four years or so and i've thought about quite a bit and watched certain scenes of over and over uh and yet the the difficulty of that relationship still gnaws at me. Like it still gets me how strained that lead couple is in like a way that I hate while I'm watching, but feels so ultimately productive at the end with the, the catharsis of that fake out end title cards and stuff (laughs) like that. Uh, Meanwhile, I'll do anything. I watched twice in a row because I wanted to watch both versions of it. And it just really bold me. It really did a number on me emotionally in a way that I didn't expect. And uh, yeah, so this was a, this was a real heavy duty double feature this week for me. No. Yeah. A modern romance is probably, uh, you know, We'll see when it's all said and done. Maybe Muslim World takes it over, but probably my favorite uh, Albert Brooks film. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, what do you call it? I'll Do Anything, I think is the one James L. Brooks movie that I hadn't seen. And uh, I mean, I it, yeah, they both affected me in a great way. I mean, Modern Romance still, like, like as I did first watch, I feel like I still laugh at all the same stuff and like feel all of the, you know, the insecurities that uh, Brooks is putting all over the screen, Albert Brooks. And like, I'll do anything. I wasn't exactly blown away by it, but I was like, this is just typical Brooks fare that he does so well. And like, I think it is, it's a kind of inter, uh, interesting intersection in his career where he's kind of like, he's almost kind of like in that sour, as good as it gets mode. Not, you know, not sour for him, like just like the sour uh, kind of character. Like Albert Brooks is like a pretty good analog to like Jack Nicholson's character. And, um, but he's still on that family melodrama tip that, you know, he made his made his money on with terms of endearment. So it, um, it's it's kind of interesting to see them come together in like this meta Hollywood critique, but also a very personal film. Kind of like, a, you know, stand uh, stuck on you. Stand by me. <laughs> stand and deliver. <laughs> stand your ground. Um. <laughs> JT, you, uh, you got to stand your ground now. Have you seen, uh, <laughs> had you seen I'll Do Anything before? Or um, was this a fresh experience? This was, I mean, uh, like the both of you, this is the last Brooks. I mean, it feels weird because we have another like double feature next week, but this is like, 
I'm closing the book yeah, huh? on James L. Brooks. But I mean, I'm, I'm dog-earing it so I can return, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. return to... That as good as it gets chapter, it gets a lot of wear in the dog-earing department. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, I don't know why people don't like this. Especially, like, it's not as good as Amberson's for me, but it's similar in, like, a mutilated masterpiece kind mm. of a thing where it's, like... The theatrical cut still really works as like a good James L. Brooks movie and it hits a lot of, I don't know, like his trademarks. And I think a lot of the things that people don't like about it are like, I don't know, core misconceptions or misunderstandings of and misreadings of his Brooks's work. Like I saw a lot in like uh, letterboxed reviews about I'll Do Anything just like people being like this fucking girl is annoying and evil and awful and it's like yeah like that's kind of the point but it's like you I didn't can think she was like, even that bad i mean yeah that too like she's yeah. not even that bad and like you can understand why like she was raised that way like i don't know hating a child that like much when she's just sort of like acting out because of neglect yeah. like that's i don't know again like yeah. uh, brooks hallmark he explores like the complete depth of the character so you understand where they're coming from so to set the table for i'll do anything uh, to get into the meat of it uh it's a film about test screenings uh, <laughs> whose premise and genre were changed entirely by that very evil but perhaps necessary practice. <laughs> Nick Nolte is a struggling actor who has been given full custody of his daughter after not seeing her for years. And he learns to be a father while trying to rage against the Hollywood machine from the inside, uh, starting an affair with a producer who could give him, you know, the, the type of break that would get his career back on track. Uh, meanwhile, Albert Brooks is a cutthroat executive who, uh, who passes on Nolte multiple times and carries on a trying and disaffected relationship with Julie Kavner. The critique of the main characters and the satirical like annihilation of tertiary Hollywood characters uh, is very successful as like a cynical satire. And meanwhile, the family melodrama earns its sincerity and is like very, you know, heartstring tugging and, I don't know. For all that stuff, man, made me feel like this is the the closest that James L. Brooks got to replicating that Simpsons feeling in any of his feature films, and uh, I I loved it. Now, all right, you guys both watched the regular cut and director's cut, right? Yeah, and by the way, we should say the director's cut is like an assembly cut that's very unfinished. Okay, terrible sound mixing. Uh, a lot of one of the songs like isn't even there. It's just an instrumental, and you just see Albert Brooks dancing essentially. <laughs> uh, and also, it's unscored outside of the music. Okay, so yeah, I skimmed. I mean, I like you. I mean, maybe a little more, but I just like um this morning like hop to the main beats like i would just see when there's something new i would just sit through a scene like mostly the musical numbers though okay and like is there is there something different he's trying to do with the musical numbers that i guess that like 
I think it keys into a, a more heightened sense of reality. Like the satire in this film kind of renders itself more less realistic than the other Brooks movies. You know, mm-hmm. everything's a little heightened here. The the Hollywood types are almost like in the player. You know, the way that they talk about their jobs, and you know, you get that scene of Nick Nolte blowing up at one of the executives, seemingly like a James L. Brooks, you know, self insert yeah. uh, raging at the people who won't green light his, you know, uh, character dramas. Uh, but yeah, I think it's just like a different tone, and there are also just like kind of weirdly different things like there are scenes that don't have anything to do with the musical that are in this assembly cut that are not in the theatrical cut like albert brooks visiting uh nan julie kavner's office where they do the tracking from the test screening and he's just like basking in the glory of test screenings <laughs> and how and you know he yeah. says in a in a scene that's in both versions you know i believe in test screenings yeah <laughs> and i i think it like gives more detail to the characters everything's a lot slower before the plot really starts kicking in And there's just additional scenes for like every relationship in this film, pretty much in that quote unquote, I don't I can't call it a director's cut because it's clearly not like a finished film whatsoever. Yeah, it's an assembly cut. So I think that's interesting because like one thing I did notice about this movie, I feel like Nolte is kind of the most naturalistic performance within a Brooks movie that I could think of. Like Mm -hmm. he he doesn't really I mean, of course, he has his moments, him yelling at the young executive for making fun of all the Hollywood's great actors, you know, he has his passionate moments, but like, I don't know, something in the way where he has to learn to, uh, be a father. And like, you see a a good amount of scenes of him doing that. And, uh, I don't know. It just, it, it, he pulls off something that I don't usually see in a Brooks movie and he's a, a welcomed, you know, breath of fresh air. Yeah. I mean, to like, jump off there with the Nolte performance. Yeah, I was really taken aback by how well he fit into Brooks's milieu and just like clicked here. Um, And to go along with what you were saying, Eddie, I mean, I do think like um, the, I mean, since it's an assembly cut, it would be very clearly pared down, but I think you get a lot of more specific character information that just like, I don't know, makes the relationships a lot richer, which like, sure, definitely like it would, it's way too long. And like the, it, it, like the plot feels very weird with that flow in the assembly cut. But I'm sure if like the musical sequences, they just add sort of a layer of like them, obviously they're sort of speaking the subtext of what the characters are feeling, but like most of the time it's not even like the central characters like for uh Nolte in particular there's like the opening musical number that you see where it's like surrounding him uh like on the opening night of a play there's another one where he's like going to audition for the movie and it's like talking about like the jitters it like is a nice like atmospheric like sort of surrounding that just like heightens the the tension in the movie definitely the most like expressive camera movements that i've seen in any brooks film Mm -hmm. for sure are within these musical numbers i will say that yeah the mise-en-scene is way more expansive than you're kind of used to for a james l brooks film but he really pulls it off wonderfully i mean you you realize it's studio filmmaker at the top of his craft working with the best craftspeople possible you know yeah 
and uh, you know it's beautifully shot by Michael Bauhaus, returning champion for broadcast news, uh, and he pulls off some incredible maneuvers. But Albert Brooks's first number is at that first test screening that they go to. You know, Nolte's got to drive him to the valley for a test screening, and uh, so in this version, they pull up to the theater, and you just see all the people waiting and. Albert Brooks just sticks his head out of the fucking window and just like looks at these people in the eye. And you even got these like dudes with the only the top button of their flannel open, <laughs> like <laughs> just an assemblage of different types of people from Los Angeles that Brooks is just mugging right up in their face. Yeah. <laughs> and then he just starts singing the titular song, uh, I'll Do Anything. I'll do anything to have you like it. And uh, it's a it's a very silly number, but the choreography is like pretty beautiful, and uh, it's really well shot. And Brooks is just such a silly songsmith. Yeah, <laughs> like he's not a great singer, but he's very entertaining to watch sing. Um, as a jumping off point there from that movie test screening, I mean, you see a little bit more of the movie itself in the assembly cut, but. I like that. I mean, that it adds the musical numbers and like the movie within the movie, even though it's a very, very minor part, add to that Simpsons quality yeah. that you were saying there. Because it's like the Simpsons weaves like musical numbers very elegantly in those first few seasons. And then also like a little like the funny pop culture riff, too. Now, I was going to say Brooks, you know, knowing that the, this was originally planned to be a musical, Brooks is performance is very like over the top and theatrical but also mm-hmm. like could fit in like in a simpsons performance as well kind of like an over the top animated character and it is like you see him kind of do that before but he's never been like such a man of power such he hasn't ha- been like this type of asshole on yeah. screen before and it's it's really interesting of him to do I, I i especially the opening scene where nolte comes in to read it just seems like he's yiffed up out of his fucking mind yeah so what have you been doing with yourself last few years. Look, if you don't mind, I'm, I'm really bad at interviews, and I, I'd really prefer just to read first. But that's the way you'd like to do it? Yes. I see. Okay. I'll tell you what. Why read it all? Why don't we just give you the role? Okay? Want the part? We don't have to read. <laughs> no, no. I'm serious, really. Hi. Very good in the miniseries. Yeah, he got an Emmy nomination for it. You know, they're all different ways. Do you know Bertolucci never reads actors? Just uh, looks at them, feels around a little bit, and then he decides. Doesn't read a word. Well, I also have a way. I like to interview first, then I like to read, maybe come back the next day, do it all over again. I'll call people up the actors worked with. I'll check them out. If he's famous, I'll do an opinion survey to see if people like him. If he's not famous, I'll put him on tape, grab anybody I can find, and show him the tape. That's the way I like to do it. I believe in screen tests. Uh, So Nolte, you know, gets reeled in uh, by... uh, Jolie Richardson's uh, character, Kathy, you know, she's a producer who seems like she keeps, you know, almost getting him jobs where he he then just gets demoralized by Albert Brooks. Uh, And then sometimes you just got to pass the torch. And uh, his young daughter, who he's been trying to forge a relationship with over the course of this film, she gets cast in a children's show. And kind of the third act of the film is about, you know, uh, him being there for her on her day of shooting this pilot uh, for a show about a multicultural foster home <laughs> because James L. Brooks is definitely guilty of some very short-sighted liberalisms. Yeah. Uh, but I think that this has to be satire. I of mean, like, like diversity pandering. It's like everyone's pissed. Take to all that, B. Oh, 
is black. The word is African American. <laughs> yeah. What do we do with a new word? We use it in a sentence. Go ahead. Use African American in a sentence. I mean, it makes sense, like in the expanded like musical version when the little girl is like going to audition for it there are like like different kids saying like i'm not chinese or i'm not japanese i'm burmese and stuff like that and just like you hear that like four or five times in her like walk up there it's so fucking funny I uh, yeah i mean um i think i think it is because like i i love how like nolte and his daughter kind of bond through this acting experience and the way it climaxes is, is amazing where yeah. she, she successfully cries and then you know just runs off stage to hug nolte but like i think that another layer of what makes that great is that like the show it, the show's kind of shit like the show doesn't really yeah. matter and like it's but it's still touching because like nolte's kind of learned to not you know care about himself because you know he's been abandoning his daughter his whole life so it's like him kind of uh looking past something like that and just celebrating the successes of just being a good dad. Yeah, and I mean, his uh, arc with his girlfriend, uh, the producer, Kathy, ends right before there uh, where they're on the way to go hook up with each other in a scene where Nolte is driving like an absolute <laughs> loon, uh, just like doing a cartoon driving where he's just yeah. like moving the wheel back and forth like you're miming <laughs> that you're driving, but you see his car, you know, the consequences of actually doing that with a car. <laughs> uh, but then she reveals to him that she kind of sold him short uh, during a screen test and uh, yeah. kind of was the reason he didn't get one of those films. So he ends their relationship and focuses on the relationship that will be more fulfilling, the familial one. I like I like kind of like one thing of the Kathy storyline of where she she's kind of like uh, constantly expected to lower her expectations amongst her peers. Like uh, there's a great scene in the beginning where you know, everyone's like shitting on her for like, oh, you didn't want to pass this script. You know, you know, this will make money. And then she just quickly erases that she wanted to and put that yeah. she does. And if that's that's a, that's an obvious, uh, you know, meta commentary. And that's what's also interesting to me about this movie, because I know this is a movie that kind of got um, bulldozed by test screenings. Well, right. That's what changed. it. That's so. It, yeah. yeah. So. So in the process of all these test screens, it, it like changed, evolved into this. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I think the. You mentioned Amberson's earlier, and I'm glad you brought it up to remind me because I didn't actually write it down. But I was thinking that this is his Orson Welles movie, you know, this yeah. Yeah. version where there's not a definitive version. There's some leftover scraps that would have been nice in a director's cut, but you know, he's it's not going to happen. The music rights are too hard to clear, apparently, and uh, so it's like the shortcomings of the film become a part of the text and it becomes about itself in that, you know, ever looping way where, you know, it's a film about test screenings and test screenings made it a different film than we know. And, uh, you know, it's about all the stuff that like all the stuff that is shed within the filmmaking process emotionally and like materially kind of. Hello. Welcome. The name of the picture you'll be seeing is ground zero. There may be some scratches, some of the colors may be off, there are no titles, and it has not been finally mixed for sound. And the music is temp. That means temporary. So thank you all for coming, and enjoy the show. Okay, so Eddie, I have an, I have an important question for you, yeah. specifically. This has popped up a few times throughout the run of Extended Clip, mm. and uh, there is a comic sex scene in this movie. <laughs> 
I just like when when there's a sex scene happening and they're trying to get the yucks, I think of you right away. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, oh, how did you feel about it? Well, let me preface that with saying that my favorite James L. Brooks movie, Spanglish, does contain a funny sex scene. And I, I don't really like it that much. It's maybe the only scene in Spanglish that I'm not like a huge fan of. Yeah. This one I love. Uh, I think it works perfectly with like uh, the inherent like conflict between these two characters. You know, Nolte's disgust at what is being left on her uh, answer. Well, we didn't set up the scene. You know, she they're hooking up Nolte and Kathy. Richardson. Uh, oh, yeah. Kathy. Yeah, uh, Julie Richardson. They're you know hooking up for the first time, and her uh, answering machine keeps going off. And you know, you get Albert Brooks moaning about test screenings, and you get all this other stuff. And he says, you know is this what you listen to all fucking day or, you know, whatever. <laughs> and it's like, clearly there is conflict and, you know, something that's going to be keeping them apart the whole time. There is the genuine connection that's between them, d- despite how kind of detached and satirical almost their relationship is. Uh, and it's also just funny to hear Albert Brooks on a voicemail machine. <laughs> I mean, I like the oh, the end of it where it's like he pulls out to go home to his yeah. daughter. Yeah. Just like also, he's doing some hardcore mugging during the scene. <laughs> Nolte's faces whenever he's like coming up for air. <laughs> no, yeah, honestly, I mean that's I was I was make sure that got mentioned because that, that was some great face. That almost kind of reminds me of like how Martin Short would just make random faces during like Clifford. <laughs> like there's just like some. <laughs> There's some, some real goofy ones. Yeah, but I think what I was saying about the the satire, uh, you know, clashing against that like emotional core of the film, I think is the genius of the film mm-hmm. is that he cares about writing these central characters so much he can't help it that even in a satire where he's clearly critiquing the characters, even you know, uh, Nick Nolte is still like a navel gazing failing actor who messes up a lot you know he doesn't even actually see his daughter do her signature move on screen he has her show it to him afterward and it's a sweet moment but it's like he's clearly an imperfect guy and the rest of the characters are very clearly critiqued other than the child you know it's just a problem child but a sweet one uh and also yeah in the run of like 90s problem children she is fairly tame no, yeah, I mean, at the beginning, she's she has a she has a good run of she being. She has her Clifford moment on the airplane. Yeah, yeah, um, but yeah, as the, I mean, that's what's good about the movie. As the movie goes on, you know, it paints yeah. a more sympathetic portrait. And you like the first, like one of the first scenes with her is like a a, a grown little girl is mm-hmm. like her mom being yeah. like, no, <laughs> like I, no one is ever going to love you more yeah. than I do. Also, <laughs> that dialogue is the lyrics of a song she's singing to her yeah. in the assembly ah. cut. Yeah. Uh, and there's even a part that's left in the theatrical cut, like the last little thing she says right before Nolte tells the cab driver, let's go, uh, is the same. It just doesn't have the instrumental behind it to make it sound musical, yeah. which is very interesting in terms of like, I guess that's the one part of a musical number that stayed in is that one line delivery. Don't talk to strangers. Don't forget to say your prayers at night. Remember God, he made you. Can we go, please? Now remember, Jeannie, don't talk to strangers. Don't forget to say your prayers at night. Remember, God, he made you. Can we go, please? <laughs> no, that's that's a great scene because it, it's very hilarious how uh, 
um, the reward the the daughter gets for go- leaving with Nolte is that uh, she doesn't have to sit with him in the back. Yeah. And then you have that kind of somber moment of just like Nolte kind of reflecting in the back seat. There's also uh, a lot of play with him and Albert Brooks and whether Albert Brooks is going to be sitting in the back <laughs> or up front with him. Yeah. Uh, definitely something. James L. Brooks definitely had to sit in the back alone at one point uh, yeah. in the years leading up to making this film. <laughs> or he felt like a chauffeur driving someone around. True. You know? I, I feel like that sometimes. Yeah. Um, I feel like I, <laughs> I feel like James L. Brooks is definitely the type. Like, if like a limo driver comes up, he's like, "Nah, man, I'm gonna get in the front seat. Like, let's yeah. talk to each other." <laughs> exactly. yeah. Um, uh, also, uh, speaking of those driving scenes, there's one great thing that's cut out of the theatrical version where uh, Albert Brooks is complaining uh, while Nick Nolte is driving him around, and he says, "You know, we had everything. We had the Arby's tie-in. They're gonna think I'm Woody Allen." <laughs> 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 oh yeah i mean in that similar vein there's another great Al- uh albert brooks uh line where he's like he doesn't make movies uh for theaters where you can get a cappuccino in the lobby <laughs> yeah <laughs> i make popcorn movies yeah, i love yeah, the, so, the production glenn- company being called popcorn pictures is so stupid but i like it <laughs> that's a very glenn gary glenn ross moment that, yeah <laughs> that whole speech yeah, the this the monologues in this feel more like people making speeches than other James L. Brooks monologues, yeah. but it's fine with me. I, I buy into it because this film is in conversation with itself and with its audience in sh- such a strange way. It's an easy reclamation for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it really is easy. just considering the process and all that stuff. I think even if it wasn't good and enjoyable to watch, it would still be a very interesting object. All right, one thing I, I feel I felt a little iffy on. How do you feel about the Julie Kavner, Marge Simpson character? I, I yeah. love that character. Yeah. I, I think that yeah. that relationship is really good because it starts out feeling very emotionless. And the assembly cut does have a lot more scenes of them together leading okay. up to them. Yeah. date. Like they have a first date together that's good. Mm-hmm. The scene starts at the end of their first date. And it's like such a great comment on these fucking workaholics of Hollywood that are just awful. And uh, the moment of uh, you want to come inside or whatever after a date is like, do you want to see my office? Because our (laughs) date was just like when we could each get away from work for 40 minutes or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, and then you get a great, you know, scene in her office, seeing how she runs her test screening facilities. But the scene with her explaining her, you know, medication dosage and stuff like that. <laughs> I feel like she's just like a character stuck in this loop of complacency and thinking that a wild card like Albert Brooks's character will reel her out of it. Mm-hmm. And it probably won't. But then you get a nice note at the end that maybe it will. Maybe he'll change for her a little, yeah. you know. Uh, I, I really liked their relationship. I like their relationship, their like repertoire, but I guess like the kind of the her device, I guess, is that she o- she always tells the truth. Or what was that like? A, was that did I imagine that? Or was that no, literally she says spelled that out? Medically, yeah, yeah. She has to yeah, tell yeah, the yeah, truth. yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I don't know. Sometimes that just felt a little too. I don't know, like sitcom. I don't know what the right word. No, is. I get that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like, I, it's just a small critique because a lot of. Also, a lot I feel of, like that line isn't in the assembly cut either. Interesting. That might be in one of the reshoots to make it more because I do feel like the theatrical cut is a little more zany in its humor. Okay, yeah. It is really like just the zaniness of it. Like I. I that randomly when Nolte first goes to uh, Kathy's apartment, and she just runs by naked. Oh yeah, stuff. I love that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. It's great. And she pokes it's... her head out sideways. <laughs> yeah, after. yeah. It's so it's... funny. <laughs> Some airplane uh, style breasts across across the street. Yeah, Sc- exactly. Yeah, screen. Brooks was going for the airplane mode. You know, titties for the little boys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
<laughs> all the little boys that are going out <laughs> to see all do anything. I think that's probably part of the failure too. Is like it's a it's a father daughter like very sentimental story. Yeah, but it's also a, like a pretty harsh language filled film. You yeah, know? Uh, like there's more f bombs in the uh, assembly cut as well. Like in the Emmy scene in the very beginning. Tracy Ullman just yells out like fuck shit 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 fuck when he loses uh, which is pretty good too because it also kind of helps set the tone of this weird R-rated but very uh, nice family story. <laughs> yeah it is kind of funny it's like what audience could this possibly appeal exactly, to and like yeah. Mark like a well very- it's me. Yeah, exactly. Well, I guess us the the heads. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, again, as we've yeah. been saying, it's just like it's funny that it's reflexive that L uh, Al Brooks is like, the, who is this movie for? Yeah. and it's like, well, it tested well with like eleven to twelve year olds in the South. Yeah, <laughs> and we're the eleven to twelve year olds in the South for exactly. all do anything. <laughs> uh, any final thoughts on this one before we wrap it up? Shoot it down with a bullet rating. Yeah, I mean, uh, very impressed by Nolte. And this and kind of he kind of holds it down and kind of gives it maybe like that downbeat tempo. I was just looking a little bit more of that. You said is a little bit more present in the assembly cut. But it is like it like like any uh, good James L. Brooks movie, which seems to be all of them um, is like they, you do have these crazy emotional climaxes that I feel like most other American filmmakers could only like dream of achieving. Yeah. So, it, I mean, he still delivers on all fronts it's definitely not my favorite by by any means but maybe you know i'm see i guess my book is still a little bit open i still have the assembly cut to watch and i'm i'm looking forward to it i mean you love to see albert brooks and you know collab with james brooks i think that's some of his best acting you know unless you're like a drive fan or something like that (laughs) um but yeah uh four bullets right on i uh I also think I'm going to bump it up to four bullets. I was on, I gave it a three and a half last night, mm-hmm. knowing full well that I was going to come podcast today and bump it up to four. <laughs> um, but I don't know. That's called going JT mode. <laughs> <laughs> it's a James L. Brooks movie. The writing is all there. Like, I mean, going into it, like thinking like this one's the dud. I was like, what's going to be wrong? And I was like waiting for things to jump out at me. But it's just like, so impeccably written and composed i was reading just like on the fucking like wiki page about it like um brooks like a few years later and talking about the movie he was like well like it was like written as a musical but like narratively like the structure still works regardless of like the musical numbers and that's how where he stands in terms of the theatrical cut and it does like the theatrical cut like is clearly like there is an absence of something that is definitely felt, but it still is a really effective movie that's funny, heartfelt, and all of the things that you want. And uh, I just, another line that I really liked was uh, Tracy Ullman in regards to um, Nick Nolte writing letters to the daughter was, who sends letters to someone who can't read? (laughs) It was a good shtick. And then in my mind, it's they're remaking Mr. Deeds. And so <laughs> they're working on the Adam Sandler Mr. Deeds in that movie. Dude. And that's uh, that's just a little head cannon there for all the nerds. Yeah, Nick Nolte got passed over because some of the producers didn't want to fuck him. But they all said <laughs> that they would have fucked Adam Sandler. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's have our creative meeting right here. Well, I'd sure go to bed with her. Very fuckable. I'd bone her. Good. That's her. What about him? I think he's a very good to excellent actor. Mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. 
But there's something. You wouldn't go to bed with them. Well, six years ago, maybe. Everything doesn't boil down to it. I like that shy thing he was going <laughs> I for. I think he's talented and attractive. So you'd go to bed with him? He, um, might be a little light in that area. That the the Ian McKellen cameo is the director. He's depicting a Dennis Dugan in that. Damn. <laughs> now that you say it like that, I might need to bump up the score a little higher. <laughs> I'm going four bullets for this one. It's a great film. It's also not my favorite James L. Brooks, mm-hmm. but it's uh, you know, now that I've seen all six of his movies, I know that they're all really great. <laughs> uh, did I already say how many bullets? Yeah, you said four. I'm gonna bump it up. Ooh. Whoa, four and a half bullets. I th- You'll do anything. Yeah. <laughs> I just think that like it has what you're looking for in a quote unquote misfire from an auteur that you love. It has all of those things that I love about him pushed so far to the extreme. It's so much about the performances, even if they're in this weird mode that doesn't really fit in with the rest of Brooks's filmography entirely. Uh, I think the Albert Brooks character is so great and so harsh. Um, well, I had the urge to be with someone. You were the closest. I don't know. Uh, the assembly cut has Julie Kavner doing the Marge sound at one point. She goes, <laughs> I did it terribly there. It's more like, <laughs> that's better. I thought I had it. It's hard. Yeah, Marge yeah. is hard to do. Yeah. That's why she gets paid the big bucks. <laughs> oh. Oh, also, uh, Lisa is in uh, that. Fu- I want to know Yardley Smith. She's in the uh, assembly cut as well, doing a musical number. And then it's like she can't <laughs> also like Julie Kavner just cannot do voices. And you just know right away. Yeah. Um, OK, we'll be right back on extended clip to talk about the middle set. Washington. Washington. Boy, that must have been a big adjustment. Yeah, it wasn't that bad. Both places have a lot in common. Overprivileged people crazed by their fear of losing their privileges alcoholism addiction and we're back on extended clip everyone's favorite segment malcolm in the middle malcolm you see anything this week yeah man you know i'm usually i'm usually grind i'm usually making money don't have time for this movie shit but I, i saw that they made a movie about me a biopic about me do you guys hear about this yeah it's called prince of darkness And uh, (laughs) it's a a John Carpenter movie. This was a rewatch. I'd seen it before, but had a faint memory of it in my mind. And this is this this movie really does hit different. Like there's there's a there there's a very distinct rhythm to this movie that's like very like kind of dialogue free and very like open ended. Like it is the plot of the movie is that like a, a college professor and his uh, underling students go to this church because they the church has found some sort of evil incarnate that it's been uh, holding for many years and they didn't reveal it because they they thought modern science would figure it out by now but basically the concept of the church is a lie how it was taught and they were trying so it's like basically the evil starts to leak out and just weird stuff starts to happen and people start to act strange and you know towards the end of it it just kind of it's kind of bleak and um 
I don't know. It's just really inventive. And I think Carpenter, Carpenter, of course, is a formal master, but I think this is one of uh, his movies where the formal control is just, he has a stranglehold on it. You know, that's a good thing. Yeah. I, this is the one Carpenter, I think, where, or at least among my favorites, where it's like, I definitely just feel it a lot more than I get it, quote unquote, because the way you described the premise of the movie, I was like, oh yeah, I guess that is what it's about. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen this movie three times maybe, and I never really could even summarize it, but it's like the most purely terrifying imagery that I've seen from Carpenter. Uh, the the most like elemental and pulsating of his synth beats. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just like such a beautiful film, and it also it, it's it's a carpenter. It has some laughs. You yeah, know? you're gonna get some good line readings and stuff like that. But it's on the whole definitely one of the more terrifying films. For yeah, him. the way that like the rhythm kind of compounds like over over time toward like the last third of it is just like you really have like no idea like what's gonna happen and like it. Turn, take some like bleak turns yeah. you know what i mean i bet basically just you know ends with satan returning to earth fantastic alice cooper role yeah yeah <laughs> so uh yeah um don't watch this one with the kids that imagery at the end uh like the hand in the mirror yeah like one of the most like even if i can never summarize the film that image has been stuck in my head since the first time i watched it I mean that I mean that that image is just stuck in my head and it's just like that whole everything behind it that like that woman basically threw herself into yeah, exactly. hell yeah. to like try to stop and then she's just gone forever. And then it's like can I just go to hell that yeah. easily? We got a mirror right here. Yeah, I'm like I'm putting my hand against the mirror right now. <laughs> I'm oh, looking shit. at the man in the mirror. Oh fuck, Malcolm's oh, in fuck. hell. Oh fuck, I'm in hell. I'm chilling in hell. <laughs> But what about you guys? You guys seen anything uh, recently? Who wants to step up? I'm not going to say a name. Um, Eddie, you go. I'm. You normally close it out. You, you next. All right, all right. Uh, I, I was kicking it old school this week. I, I watched a film over 100 years old. Uh, Charlie Chaplin's The Rink from 1916. Um, while I wouldn't say this is one of his overall best, like two reelers, uh, it has some of my favorite stuff. Uh, it's like a really sweet kind of thing where, you know, he's a, he's a waiter who messes up classic. I've been there. Uh, and then he, you know, takes it out, out on the rink. He goes skating and uh, skater die as far as I'm concerned. And he's, you know, he's hot dogging on those roller skates, boy. I tell you what, uh, there's a really great like chase at the end where he just like, you know, leads this pack of boys that are chasing him into uh, like a dressing room of sorts, and they all crash into each other. And then there's one old lady uh, chasing after him still, and he just like, you know, jukes her out and kicks her in the butt, and then she crashes into that pile up of boys. And it's just like, comedy was better a hundred years ago than it'll ever be, probably. <laughs> Stoning olds and kids. Yeah, uh, but also just like the formal prowess there is just like it's the elements but it's also kind of all you need like the mise-en-scene is so perfect and also just like him being such a free-floating uh skater uh, <laughs> uh makes it seem you know uh different for the time more i guess fluid uh but it's just such a beautiful you know idea for a 1916 comedy short (laughs) charlie chaplin uh as a waiter and a guy who likes to skate (laughs) i also watched william wellman's uh college coach from 1933 this is a nice little college football programmer for all you uh ncaa heads out there 
Uh, this is also, if you were a fan of like the football stuff and the long gray line where you see the invention of the forward pass, you might also <laughs> like the football played in this one. Uh, if you're a fan of like the option offense, you get a lot of great like sped up footage of very clean option offense. And really it's about how evil college sports are uh, and how they have always been evil, always will be evil. And the people who like college sports like coaches more than athletes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And William Wellman. I mean, when you're talking about like 30s, like 60 minute movies, he's the king. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I got a I think I have a one. The Boys of the Road that I want to watch. I just downloaded that. one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I Wild I, I Boys of the Road. Wild Boys of the Road. I've seen that one and it's it a, fucks. Yeah. Is, it, is that a jackass offshoot? Wild Boys of the Road? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what about you, JT? What did you watch this week? Um, This week. I, uh, much like Malcolm, embraced being afraid, uh, and I, <laughs> I watched uh, the 2000 movie uh, Ginger Snaps. Um, it was a, a werewolf horror picture that I was like going in like this was this was a girlfriend suggestion. She loves a lot of B horror, like and JT always bragging about having a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> We'll get uh, there one day, man. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but sometimes I'll be like, I, I'm like, I don't know, horror, like B-movie horror, that's her genre. And it will be like, I will try and branch uh, or bring my my terrible movie disease to her and want to watch something like of a different genre. But she suggested this and I was a little skeptical going in. But it fucking rules. It's about like two... Um, very goth um like high school girls um that like are sisters that just hate everyone but them and they like re they do photos like for one one of their class projects is like them just like recreating different brutal deaths and then the teacher is like whoa you're fucked up we need to talk about this after class um, and so they're living their lives as like twisted, fucked up girls. Their parents love them very much. That's just they're just expressing themselves as they are. But they ha- neither of them have gotten their periods yet. Um, and that sort of the the maturation into like adulthood is sort of intermingled with like a werewolf transformation. And there are a lot of really gruesome, like just disgusting werewolf effects. There's like a tale that reminded me of Jason Alexander's tale <laughs> um, in Shallow Hal. It's like, I don't know. It's it's very like, um, I like, at first, I don't know. I was never a goth or an emo kid. I'm disconnected to that subculture. I had the bangs for it, yes. But I was too buoyant and happy to be in there. But it like the mood works really well and just like, I don't know. It's phenomenal. I would recommend it highly. Like, uh, I don't know. If you like some some gross little horror, check it out. And that's a nice little tease as October is approaching. And I know last year we were very anti-theme uh, watching yeah. for October. We're going to throw you some horror movies yeah, this year. Let's yeah. just, well, I'm going to say that much. I don't want to get into anything, but, uh, you know. Christmas we'll, is coming this year. Yeah, Christmas is coming for all you <laughs> horror movies. <laughs> Uh, what's that Preston Sturges movie, Christmas in October? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we'll be back on Extended Clip. <laughs> I think it was... You know everything. If that's what you want to believe, that's fine with me. 
Well, I... Don't call me. I mean it. Well, don't call me this time. Okay, fine. I won't call you. Wait a minute, though. Come back. We can at least eat. Mary. Mary, I'm sorry. Oh, don't apologize. Okay, fine. I won't apologize. And don't call me either, okay? Drop dead. Very sweet. Thanks. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Drop dead. That's lovely. Erotica? I think it even has erotica in the name. That's how you know it's going to be very erotic. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's taking up the throne that Jess Franco left, dude. The scary erotic man. Yeah. We're talking about Danzig. Uh, we're back on Extended Clip talking about Danzig. Yeah, I don't really have any Danzig stories. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I, I was going to say I saw him once, and then I remember I didn't see him <laughs> I, I remember someone told me they saw him at the store. Yeah, I, I knew a guy who worked for him. Yeah. <laughs> What's your Danzig story? I have no relation. (laughs) What's the guy with the big hair from the Melvins? Uh, I saw him at Phantom Thread. Really? At the Arclight on Christmas. Whoa. Yeah, I thought it was Jews only. (laughs) But there was a metal, a metal man. Metal man? A metal music man. You know who's the sickest metal guy? Peter Steele of Typo Negative. You guys know him? No. He's sick. I'm growing out my hair until I look like Peter Steele. (laughs) He also had a photo shoot on Playgirl where he, he displayed his penis. I'm growing out it my was large. until I look like Peter <laughs> Thiel. <laughs> yeah. I'm growing out my dick. <laughs> growing out my dick until, until I look like, like Peter North. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back on extended. <laughs> Modern Romance is the uh, second film. Did did we cut out there for a second? No. It was the headphone app. Okay, yeah. yeah. It was just getting close to the edge. Uh, okay. Modern Romance is the second film in our double feature. Um you know, I sometimes we'll throw to one of our favorite critics like uh, Jonathan Rosenbaum, Dave Kerr, uh, Armand White, Pauline Kael. Today I'm going to read something from Stanley Kubrick. Mm. Um, How did you make this movie? I've always wanted to make a movie about jealousy. That is apparently what Stanley Kubrick asked of Albert Brooks. Albert Brooks said that uh, in a Q&A, I guess. Uh, I'm sure that's like a phony story in some capacity. <laughs> like it had to have some sort of lie to the, you know. Yeah. But um. Pretty simple question. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Kubrick, the master of cinema, it's like pretty simple analysis of the movie. Get a fucking camera. (laughs) (laughs) Dude started as a photographer and he doesn't know how to make a movie. Get a camera. Why don't you go take more photos, old Kub? (laughs) Uh, But jealousy is a good entry point in kind of dissecting this film, I I guess. It's kind of what drives it. It's Albert Brooks as a film editor who, you know, the first scene, the cold open, and boy is it cold, is him dumping his girlfriend, Mary, uh, played wonderfully uh, by Catherine Harold. What a performance just putting up with Albert Brooks. And uh, the film is essentially just him trying to get her back and going back and forth on just about everything in his life for 90 minutes. And also uh, a nice bit of like procedural comedy for him as a film editor, too. No, I'm. that's why I like this movie, because, of course, it's funny. Albert Brooks is very funny and whatnot, but it, it does have like a very kind of a low key atmosphere where you kind of brood in these uh, areas for a while, whether it's like Al Brooks apartment where he's high off quaaludes and he's talking to his bird and he's looking through his record collection and just, you know, trying to convince himself he's okay. Or it's, you know, in the editing labs where we, you know, we really do see the, the process and just the arduousness that it takes just making any simple film. It's just how many roadblocks are going to come into it. And like, you know, it's something you might not even particularly care about, but it's just a, 
there's so many uh, different opinions going on. Half the people don't even want to be there. They're just making fun of you for trying to work harder. <laughs> and it, 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 like it is, it is a, it's a very bleak look at everything at love uh, and filmmaking and how those two intersect. And uh, I don't know. I can't help but love it because I love love and I love filmmaking. <laughs> I mean, one thing like in just talking about the spaces that he occupies for a long time, like his apartment, that hit me really hard this time where it's just like. It's we talked about with mother that it's just scenes of like absolutely nothing, like the most mundane shit, like going to the grocery store, him bouncing off of Debbie Reynolds. But like so much of this is just him laboring with himself, <laughs> yeah. just bouncing against like nothing, yeah. but still like having like such a top tier performance. And it's like funny how like I love how simple the logic of his like that like the actions will go. It's like simple but also deranged. It's like I wrote one thing down where it's like okay, he calls up that other woman, I think Ellen is yeah. her name where he sets up the date. Ellen. And, <laughs> and he's like, "Okay, well like uh I need dope." And it's like if I'm going to get late, like if you got to have like we got to have dope. Dope and fresh sheets. And it's like I need new I sheets. Food in the house. It's like new sheets. I was like, "Well, fuck, I can't get late now." And it's just like a train of thoughts that are all yeah. like fucked up but like leads to very like such basic setups where yeah. he can jump anywhere. He's not only is he thinking out loud, he's acting through all of his thoughts. Yeah. And his mind is such like at war with itself that everything he does he negates 30 seconds later uh all the way down to how the film ends with you know uh the end credits uh describing you know just giving fake out after fake out of yeah. what actually happens at the end of this movie no i mean i really relate to this as an indecisive person and you know i hope i'm not as much as an asshole as albert brooks is in this movie <laughs> but you know you never know um but i think that's what's also funny is that you know, he's classic. He's his own worst enemy. But it's it, it's also just like in contrast to his girlfriend, who's like very normal and nice to him and handles the situation in very like <laughs> measured ways. And like him just right like when she seems satisfied is right when he's like uncomfortable, you know? And it's it's just funny how that works and how he can never really find comfort and you know it's it's really his own fault uh much like mother this is just like kind of a collection of long comedic scenes mm -hmm. uh you know after the breakup you get the long scene of him in his apartment starting to get fucked up off quaaludes talking about how much he loves his records and his rolodex and his bird <laughs> god i have so many great albums i love my albums i love them i love them Here's an album. God. Music is the... Is the... Is the doctor of the soul. What do you think, Petey? Good beat? Uh, and then you get him with, you know, also, I should say, this is the film in our series that contains the most Brooks Brothers, uh, because mm -hmm. then you get the scene at the athletic gear shop where you get Albert Brooks with his brother, Bob Einstein, as Oh, what a great just piece <laughs> of shit gym rat, but not even like wannabe gym rat sales associate at a sporting goods store yes. uh, who's just upselling him on all the bullshit he possibly can. And they're 
timing is just so impeccable. The rhythms, how they play off each other is just like so perfect in that scene. I mean, yeah, it's one of my favorite lines of the movie is where he's trying to sell him the wrist wallet. Band, sweatband supporters. you have any supporters? Okay, I'll get you three of those and a wrist wallet. That should do it What's a wrist wallet? Where are you going to carry your money? You're going to run broke? You're going to run broke? <laughs> <laughs> It is. This is like the. I, I don't know because like I go back, uh, back and forth between this and real life. I feel like they're funny in like very different ways. Yeah. But um, this this one just like the uncomfortable the uncomfortability of it is just so it, it hits so hard. I like in just scenes also where just like I don't know Albert Brooks is like looking at someone or like I think one one towards the end when they're at the cabin and like she's making a call and he's like looking out the window and then like he sees that she's coming back and he just walks back awkwardly and sits down on the couch and just tries to look normal. It is like it is it is, it is some of the craziest uh you know yeah. craziest human behavior but it's like it's it's so easy to see how that is all rationalized. Maybe that's my no, I mean yeah, it's yeah. like it's deranged and absurd and like over the top um Brooks here, but it's like I think what really like makes it stick and like what makes it not get insanely annoying to me is I think there's like a kernel of truth like hidden deep beneath there. It's like it's all like based on anxieties that like pretty much everyone has. Yeah. Like being in a relationship where you know you have to end it. Then you're like wrestling with like oh did I make the right decision that type of thing mm-hmm. it's like the, it's all very common anxieties he just takes it to the hyper extreme of like <laughs> uh, I like I was talking to someone about this and it's like he just makes the absolute worst decision at, like <laughs> in a row like the worst thing to do after a breakup just in a row right after each other I, I mean I love uh, you know when he's he hasn't gotten back together with his girlfriend when he breaks up at the beginning of the film how like every per every person he's making a transactional uh, conversation with like all the cashiers he's talking about it's like yeah I just broke up with my girlfriend what's, yeah. the, what's the best type of vitamin and it's like and, it, and it's like it's relatable not that I've done that but I remember when my car broke down like three years ago I'd literally tell like every Uber it's like yeah my car's been <laughs> my car's my car broke down it's been real rough like yeah. it is it is funny just like getting your pain off of. Uh, just random strangers and st- and that happens a lot. You know? Yeah, he not only at the vitamin store. That's like why he's there. He also <laughs> just like when he's running in to intrude on his girlfriend's work dinner. Uh, he just like whizzes by the valet guy, and as he's rolling by, says, "My girlfriend and I broke up. I just need to run in for a minute." <laughs> <laughs> using using like this uh, thing that happened to him just to rationalize other strange behavior yeah. and like the places that it takes him <laughs> is just yeah. That I mean that's what's so funny about this is like it is like it's mostly just him like brooding and then he's like all right I'm gonna go make this decision and then it just works out poorly and then you compound from there and there it just yeah. all stacks up on top of each and other. And just like when he's in the relationship too, he's so <laughs> shitty and abusive and just like awful. Like the scene, I mean, it's like insanely problematic, but like one of I think the. <laughs> Like just like the most ridiculous lines is she's like leaving the house 
and like not even a dress where you can you can't even see her nipples. Yeah, she'd like, be called I a was, prude to today's standards. I was I was looking, <laughs> and, and he's like, "There's people out there. There's people that only rape. That's all they do. <laughs> They're out there just as she's fucking going to work." And it's it's so funny because she knows just to dismiss this immediately. She doesn't even like put up a bit like yeah. make a big deal. It's like don't say that. She's just like business as usual. And, yeah. and, and they never seem to have a good time together, which is also no. is also very fun. There's not one tender moment shared between them. Uh, I to get back to the amount of Brooks Brothers in this film. Oh yeah, uh, the the workplace element of this film that takes up a good you know thirty forty percent of it. Uh, you do have James L. Brooks as the director of the film that he's working on, who's very precious about his junky sci-fi material over at American International Productions. Uh, and, you know, you have some really great scenes of Brooks and Bruno Kirby as like his assistant editor, who just also just has to put up with so much of his bullshit and abuse just because he's technically his boss and can get him other jobs. You know, it's funny. I, I immediately thought of like the James Wood, uh, other guy he works with relationship in Videodrome. Oh yeah. It almost seems very, of course, a more comedic slant in this one, but and, it's just, yeah. And then the, the third brother of the Einsteins also cliff, uh, oh. who I get, you know, the not famous one. Yeah. I was going to say, is, uh, I didn't one notice. of the guys working in the sound booth. Uh, in you know the greatest you know editing joke in any movie ever probably with the Hulk footsteps. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love them doing uh, recreating the footsteps too, and just how Brooks has to get chased around the room before he gets the right uh, chasing footsteps on the the microphone, and how fed up those guys in the booth are. Just like I just want to go home. Yeah, they so clearly know that the film that these guys are trying to save one little moment of is just a piece of utter shit and don't care that they're there and there's not like the director there or anything like that and they're just like so reluctant to even pull up the sound effects that they want like they're like yeah we could get it but it'll take a couple minutes and like so it's the setup for the hulk joke is so great because they pull up the sound effects for the incredible hulk for this guy's footsteps you know and uh, then while they're pulling those sound effects reluctantly, Albert Brooks, you know, like a maniac, calls his girlfriend's work and like, <laughs> interrogates the guy who picks up the phone. Put up the Incredible Hulk on effects number three. What do you want, Buzz? Standard Hulk? No, Hulk running. Oh, no. Take a few minutes. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's going to find it. All I bet he does. He always seems to eventually. We got a break now? Cool. Okay, I'm gonna go to my car, right? I'll be back in a minute. Want a cup of coffee? Please. Yeah, I think it's a waste of time. Good. We'll see you. Okay, let's go. I told you, it's too slow. Too slow? Forget that. The guy's screaming. Didn't say that. It said Hulk running. Well, right in Hulk screaming. That's the effect. But uh, one of the guys working at the sound mixing place is just like, I think you saved the picture. Yeah. <laughs> Which is great because there's a, it calls back to like a conversation he was, he was having with his girlfriend where he was like, I think ed the editing really saved the picture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, there really isn't, there, most lines in this movie are funny. Like it, it yeah. really has a very low miss rate. I mean, I feel like the the marriage of the work stuff and the relationship works so well because it's the same type of like, I don't know, in general, like 
in filmmaking, especially the types that uh, both uh, Brooks's are playing are like just neurotic, meticulous people that will like slave over the most insignificant detail. And it like the fact that they're combined together, it's like, I don't know, it works perfectly. And it's funny because it also harkens back not harkens back but it, it reminds me of like how film people make people who make movies talk about the process and like um compared to like when uh, uh you know albert brooks's girlfriend wants to talk about her, uh, her work and it's just like brooks he just immediately like dismisses it <laughs> but, like yeah. talks about like this film work you know it's so important that we're making like this dumb sci-fi movie and like it's also that's also touched well in the party that they go to and just all the people that Brooks has to talk to you while like his girlfriend's going to sniff coke with a couple of bankers and he's just just has no peace he's just always looking over every other everyone's shoulder oh my god the George Kennedy appearance <laughs> in this is so fucking funny and just his mundane ass story yeah <laughs> about going to the wrong set on the first day and then like James L. Brooks does the classic did you hear what he said he yeah. said he went to the wrong <laughs> he went to the wrong set the first day I was going crazy <laughs> That that captures the feeling of like someone who has a prepackaged story to tell, like two guys, you know, and they're like, yeah. "Hear this!" But the he, guy doesn't even want to tell the story; yeah, he's yeah. constantly denying it. He's like, "This wouldn't be good on talk shows." <laughs> yeah, you say this on Merv Griffin. <laughs> <laughs> this, I mean, yeah, this this uh, less uh, less focused on it, but like also a great entertainment uh, industry critique. Just like I'll do anything. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think that to speak to the filmmaking process of it, you know, he is an editor, and the editing of this film is really patient and there's a lot mm -hmm. of long takes you know uh, or very you know kind of not fully disguised on purpose but well hidden cuts uh to keep that really protracted feeling in some of these long drawn out awkward comedic scenes uh and the dramatic ones as well and also the first time he's working out and he's like getting ready to sprint on the track is so great because he keeps getting interrupted by people who are running past him. And then he gets down on all fours like someone's about to fire a gun to start it. But you just see like eight guys like run <laughs> over him and he almost trips them. You couldn't really have put the camera in a better place there and like let the take run any longer. You know, it's just like so many of these comedic beats feel like lightning in a bottle perfect even if he had planned it exactly that way going in you know and i think uh albert brooks's like style of direction i think he uh trends toward towards like kind of trying to get some sort of like dry humor naturalism through like these long takes you especially see it in like when he's alone in the apartment like those takes are especially long and very impressive for him to pull off you know a sequence of acting like that but like just all the things he's like bouncing off of is hilarious. I mean, I love that he has a parrot that doesn't talk. <laughs> and then he's, he's always like talking to him. And he's like, you agree with that? You agree with that? <laughs> and he's like, he's also the classic type of asshole where it's like, uh, he he hates you know things that are done to him, but like he'll let himself do it like without even thinking about it. It's, yeah. it's very, it's like just when people are calling him and like, he's like, Oh, I'll call you later. Or especially when his mom, and whenever his mom calls him and he's just trying to rush her off the phone, it Which is never gets even slightly resolved. Like the yeah. mother presence in this is just interrupting things. Like that's yeah. all it is. It's just him getting rid of her on the phone. It's so like it's you know very much like the relationship we would we talked about in Mother already. It's like it's just especially seeing that film already and going back to this one. It really informs that bit a lot more. 
Yeah, I guess I'm trying to think of, I mean, maybe it's just better bits or something, uh, but it's like what, because like, I think you, you kind of, you brought up Mother where it's like, this is like a lot of Brooks kind of doing nothing, although there's kind of like the momentum of the relationship that kind of yeah. keeps it chugging. I guess that's the difference between Mother, because Mother feels yeah, it has, truly aimless, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whereas this has the pulse of a relationship to kind of keep yeah. it going, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but still has like that laid back style that I enjoyed from Mother. And throughout it, uh, one thing that Albert Brooks has kind of been manipulating and holding over her is this phone bill that he sees. And he like is just lording over this possibility of who she could be calling in New York, which, of course, is just like a friend of her or a girlfriend of uh, a relative or something like that. Yeah. But he's <laughs> just like the mundane shit that he definitely thinks about or his character definitely thinks about before saying, you know, him saying uh complaining about how high her phone bill was let alone who she was talking to he's like you want to see my bills eight dollars yeah. eight fifty <laughs> that he knows the exact price oh <laughs> uh, yeah and when he when he calls that number too just like it's so funny that he does it while he's working like, yeah and, stu- and just like like just slowing the process down and just how you know how it's like it's ruining his work life is i mean it's very funny yeah um, any final thoughts on this one before we wrap up? Uh, I mean, perfect movie by yeah. all, all all means. Like, I think this is, I always struggle like what I like more real life or this one. And I, I think this one just has the edge just cause I feel like it is like, like the, it is a very formally impressive movie and how it's paced and like, kind of like how, um, laid back it could kind of feel. And I feel like the cinematography also looks really good too. Like any night scene that happens, like very uh, rich, deep colors, and uh, it's it's infinitely rewatchable to me, and yeah. probably one of my favorite romantic comedies. What about you, JT? Um, oh wait, did you, you didn't give it a bullet, bullet rating? Oh, five bullets. Yeah. See, you also didn't give a bullet rating. Maybe last week or the week before on one of them. Really? Yeah, but it's okay. You know, sometimes check letterboxed. Yeah, it's for broadcast news. Yeah, five bullets. Yeah, because also, yeah, at the end of your broadcast, like when we wrapped up that segment, you said I liked it less this time, and I was like, okay, so it's not five bullets, but whatever. Then I go and check, and it is. But yeah, uh, I mean, I just I like it's you know, and not all fives are built the same. We love broadcast news here. That's all. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I'm also going to give this five bullets. It's just a masterpiece. Like this and real life are just some of the funniest fucking things mm-hmm. I've ever seen. And also that like I don't know, Brooks is doing so much like physically and just like I'm impressed that like he can do such terrible fucked up things that like when I like stand like when I'm removed from the movie like I see how awful and inhuman they are, but just watching it, like he can gloss it over with some charm a yeah. little bit. Like there's like, I mean, this is not charming when it happens, but like he's in the car after they've gotten back together, and he's like, a kiss is more important than life. <laughs> when they, he's like trying to fucking kiss her on the way up to the like mountains. God, that is one of the hardest scenes to watch in this whole movie <laughs> is them talking in the car right there. And just like uh his his date uh quote unquote with <laughs> Ellen where he like drives around, hears a sad Michael Jackson song <laughs> and drops her back off. I mean, it's like I could li- like I, we could just list every bit in this movie and yeah. it's fucking great. It's so funny. I, I think that's what's also like, cause there's like a layer of relatability, like a, a thin layer of relatability to where it's like, you could see yourself 
doing these things or you've done versions lighter versions of these things and of course like you know kind of like relationship paranoia i feel like that happens yeah. to everyone uh, but, yeah. my uncle used that scene as like a trivia question to me like a couple years ago when we were talking about movies and like we hadn't talked about movies in a long time but he actually showed me a lot of my childhood favorites i would mm-hmm. go over to my uncle andy's house quite a bit and we watched stuff like uh ferris bueller and you know uh, the bad news bears and you know as a seven eight year old i fucking love that shit so anyway yeah. he asked me what's the shortest date in any movie and i was like i, I don't fucking know yeah. uh but then he said modern romance when she gets in the car and they just drive around the block and he drops her back <laughs> <laughs> you gotta teach him young you gotta like, teach him that's real as fuck yeah <laughs> Little does he know, you know, years later, it results in an extended clip Patreon. Exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, this is a perfect film. This is my favorite Albert Brooks film. One of my favorites. It just, like, it's less funny in the moment to me than real life, uh, even though I think the Hulk bit is the funniest thing in any of his movies that I've seen. Uh, but it gives me such a wider range of emotions and I think he's formally matured as a filmmaker. It's, it's hard to say that with real life because a lot of the camera work there is dedicated to uh, like the TV, you know? Yeah. Uh, But he definitely shows off how patient he is as a uh, filmmaker and with his editing here. And uh, you know, look, uh, is it like a Hong Sang Soo film at some points? Maybe. <laughs> uh, if you want to say that, you know, I, I'll, you buy that. I'll buy that. I'll buy that. If you want to get some of the art house crowd in on this, yeah. you know, you could sell it to them in that regard. Um, yeah, Five Bullets for me. This is like one of the best romantic comedies, one of the most bitter films ever. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I just love it. I feel like this was uh, one of the highest we've ever been on a film we've reviewed and on the yeah. podcast. Well, yeah, I mean, we've done the sixth sense our favorite segment yeah. when we all give the same rating which just happened mm-hmm. uh we've done that on a few fives when josh yeah. came on those were both fives true yeah uh and we did it with the blade oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. did we i don't know i don't know <laughs> i mean it's like <laughs> probably not it's yeah. easy to be, <laughs> i gave it a five it's easy to be very glowing about a, a comedy where i feel like because it's just you we're remember we're laughing together as it's, we remember the great bits yeah i am kind true. of like sorry that this podcast was more just us remembering good scenes than usually uh how we operate here but you know sometimes the the film calls for it you know yeah That's how yeah you, how else are you going to talk about an albert brooks movie <laughs> i mean yeah honestly you know I think we did a good job, though. I think we didn't talk about its relationship to capitalism. Capitalism. Albert Brooks is a a red-blooded capitalist through and through. That's what we like about him. Should we tag him on Twitter? Yeah, yeah. Why not? Him and Jim both—they're pretty active. That's true. Albert only follows his wife, and for a short period, like two days, he followed Will Sloan. I saw that. Which was amazing. Uh, But Jim is definitely checking his mentions, so we might we might want to throw him tag. Tag both. Yeah, why not? I like Albert Brooks because he still does the manual retweet rather than quote retweeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does. Yeah, writes the word RT and then at the person he's quote retweeting. Some of you are too young to even know about that old manual retweet on an iPad. He probably has an old app that he uses that still does. I I want to go full manual fuck a quote. I hate quotes. All right, Albert Brooks, you got to come on the pod just to talk about how you tweet. We won't talk about any movie yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, so, you know, extendedclippodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. That's where you can hit us up. That's where any of our listeners can hit us up with questions, comments, concerns, what <laughs> grinds your gears. Well, usually we save that for when we do a call-in segment. But, you know, sure. if you want to sound off, you can. Also, 
We have a Patreon. Oh, yes, we do. And uh, what, what did we talk about on the Patreon? Like, what's up there right now for the people to check out? Right now? Well, I know we talked about how she sends a fantastic film three times with uh, Sean Glynnis. And that was, I thought that was a really rich discussion. And uh, JT, you chose a film that's upcoming, right? That yes. We just record an episode on. Um, or you're going to hear us talk about some Earth soon. It's pretty good. We commune with nature. We hold hands, sing kumbaya. <laughs> uh, we get a we get collectivized together. Earth, nineteen thirty, Russian movie. Yeah, to be clear, Alexander Dovshenko. Legalize it. <laughs> Always good to chuck the inbox. I don't think we have emails this week. I said it off mic. I'll say it on mic. Anticipation's killing. Yeah, I know. No emails. <sighs> Can we just go through your spam then or something, <laughs> uh, man? I don't know. Yeah, just give me lonely. something. I yeah. need a fix. <laughs> SoundCloud. Fresh pressed. New tracks from D-Bangs. Yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> Shout out my boy D-Bangs. <laughs> What's in spam? That's just in promotions. Let's see about spam. Spam. Open. <laughs> Victor. Victor emailed us from spam. The subject line is El- Ellison just launched on Product Hunt. <laughs> what does that even mean <laughs> let's let's see what he has to say um hi reading heavy books and going to college <laughs> uh, geez. that sounds uh, like one of our listeners maybe it was yeah, just no. a, an they honest just, question it's it's some fucking app for people to listen to podcasts while they go to college <laughs> <laughs> if you're in college and you're listening to extended clip hit me up i'll give you the university discount <laughs> yeah just drop out honestly just drop out and listen to the podcast if you're in film school yeah drop out yeah. make room for me <laughs> i want all the resources we are on twitter at extended clip 69 i'm on twitter at Bitchface Palace. JT, where are you on Twitter? I'm on Twitter. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Tallboy Thin Legs. Eddie. Eddie. Eddie, you have to be on Twitter, right? <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Uh-huh. Hey, you watch. You watch. It's going to be perfect. You promise. Oh, Mary. So beautiful. Perfect. Perfect. To me.